I want to say thank you to all the kingdom builders. And I want to say this, that I love that we're changing lives. And uh, we will let you know what the total is in three weeks. People continue to give online. Some people give stock transfers and things like that. And uh, if that interests you, you can contact our business guy. But we'll let you know in three weeks where we are at with that. And today we are going to continue our series, uh, Wasted. And based on your response, some of you were very offended. Some of you were very happy. Some of you are cheering it. Some of you are like, yes, I thought I was the only person thinking this way. And so I took the email and the letters and the things this week. But I will tell you this, you weren't bored. So uh, it was good. It's good. So you won't be bored today either. We're going to continue this series. And uh, I want you to live in the tension between moderation and abstinence. I think that the Bible is very clear that the follower of Jesus Christ is not to get drunk. Matter of fact, we're gonna go there today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians 5. We're gonna read that scripture. And then later we're gonna go to 1 Corinthians 10. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, But then we'll also have it on the screen for those of you that don't have it. Of course, I love technology that you can have it on your phone, but I want you to live in that tension. I want you to live in that tension as a follower of Jesus Christ of how far is too far and what has God called me to and does he want me to go one direction and, and more uh, for abstinence? Where does he want me to be in this and how will I live in the tension? Because it's very clear drunkenness is wrong. Ephesians 5.18, very short verse, but it's very straight to the point. The apostle Paul is writing the church of Ephesus and he says this, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. He's very clear. I don't want you being drunk with wine anymore. I want you filled with the Spirit. And the Apostle Paul knew that you have to fill a man with something. If he was doing this, what is God going to do now to give him the joy and the hope and the future that he wants? And he was saying, you used to be drunk with wine. We're not doing that anymore. I want you to be filled with the Spirit. Being drunk with wine takes you down, down, down. Being filled with the Spirit takes you up, up, up. He understood this. And so he said, don't be drunk with wine. Now, I want to tell you that as I'm reading this passage, and it's very straightforward, and I thought, all right, why was he saying that? Why was that really a problem for the people in the church? Okay, you got to understand, these were people that didn't know about Jesus at all, and then the Apostle Paul goes there, starts the church from its infancy, winning people to Christ, the very first converts in this town. He's helping them to understand who Jesus is, that he forgives them of their sins, that he died on the cross. He's helping them to understand that. And he's helping them to live a Christian life, how Jesus would want them to live. Now, in their culture at Ephesus, you've got to understand this. They worshiped the God of Bacchus was his name, or Dionysius. That was his name in another language. So they worshiped this God Bacchus. God, uh, the God Bacchus was known as the God of wine, So you can understand why Paul is saying to these guys, okay, we're not going to get drunk with wine. You guys used to worship Bacchus, Dionysius, you used to worship him and used to go and get drunk and you're not going to do that anymore. And so he's trying to tell them it's a different day and age. What would happen in their day and age, they would get to the temple to worship Bacchus and instead of giving them coffee like we do for you, they would give them alcohol and they would start them to drink as soon as they walk in the door. We want you caffeinated. They wanted them inebriated. A little different. All right. And what they would do is they would continue to give them alcohol and more alcohol and more alcohol and more alcohol. The priest in the temple of Bacchus or Dionysius, they would beat the drums and they would create what would be like a club-like rave type atmosphere for church service, for their, their worship time. 
and the priests would be beating the drums and the people would have the alcohol and Bacchus, Dionysius, he was pleased as a god, as a false god, for these people to get wasted drunk and then to fall into all sorts of immorality. Nothing was off limits. When you read the historical accounts of their worship, it was the most grotesque sexual immorality. Anything went in that worship. Now if I could stop and put Ephesus on just hold for a minute. I can't tell you how many times marriage counseling starts in the office with, well, I was at a club and I had some drinks and then next thing you know I was with her, not my wife, and now we're here in your office. I can't tell you how many times marriage counseling starts with, well, I was off on business. We had dinner, we had drinks, next thing you know. I'm just telling you, you look at the, what happens there when you mix these things up and it, it, Paul knew that alcohol lowers the inhibitions. Paul knew this. Paul knew that that's why they worshiped that way and they went that way. And I can tell you this, in, in any marriage in our church, I've never had one married couple come up to me and say, you know what? The moment we started to drink, our marriage really turned around. You know, it kind of went to another level. Man, that really helped, okay? He's saying, don't be drunk with wine. Let's go back to Ephesus. Too much conviction. All right. Um, Back to Ephesus here. While they were dancing, while they were drinking, they reached a state of entheos. That was their goal. That's where we get the word enthusiasm. That was their goal, to get so wasted that they reached entheos. Entheos means in the power of a god. In the power of God, not the God we serve, but in the power and the euphoria and the excitement of what was going on and being wasted in this rave-type environment. And the more that they got into entheos, in the control of a God, the more excited, the more they felt like they were amazing worshipers for their false God. Paul knew that if they were drinking and they got drunk, it would lower their ability to think clearly. And he's telling the church, that's not the way we're going to live. That's not the way we're going to live. And it's an interesting thing about alcohol. The University of Missouri did a study in 2011. And they found that when you start drinking alcohol, it lowers your inhibition. And here's what happens. You start making bad choices. And you know that you're making bad choices. But alcohol starts to block the actual nerves that tell you that you're making a bad choice. And you should be ashamed of it. So you lose the shame side. You still do dumb things and you kind of know you're doing dumb things in the moment, but alcohol blocks the signal. This is the University of Missouri. It blocks the signal that says, you are making a mistake. Stop this. And then you start to care less. So Paul says, we're not going to do that. When we, when we live that way, we start to let the flesh rule. And we don't want the flesh to rule. We want the Holy Spirit to rule. And he uses a word there. He says, do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. And the actual word that he means uh, and that he uses here, he says, it leads to unsaved behavior. He says a follower of Jesus Christ, he actually uses the word saved and then puts the negative on it and says it's not saved. He said when you're getting drunk, when you live this way, you're going to do things that are not saved behavior, that are in excess. You will not have the ability to save oneself. And again, this debauchery just lends itself to to going to the lowest, lowest place where you break your vow, where you lose your witness, where you lose it all in immorality. And he's saying, don't do this. God's people don't live that way. And, And the church at Ephesus wasn't the first one. If you read your Bible... You will see that just a couple weeks ago we did our soap reading, our scripture, observation, application, prayer that we do as a church. 
We read Habakkuk, and in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 15, there was a warning. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskins till they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. Alcohol and nakedness have been around since Genesis chapter 9. It's been around today, and it lowers the inhibitions. And Paul said, new rule, that's not the way the followers of Jesus Christ are going to live. They are not going to live in drunkenness. It's off limits. He said, instead of the spirits, we're going to have the Holy Spirit, which incidentally, the word spirit for alcohol. We get the word alcohol. It comes from the Arabic word algal, algal, which is where we get alcohol. And algal was also the word for ghoul, spirit. And so you wonder, why do they call it spirits? Algal, ghoul, spirits, and theos, under the control of a false god. And so he's saying, I don't want the followers of Jesus. Instead of algal, we need the Holy Spirit. Instead of too much Chablis, you can be set free. That's what he was saying. He was saying, instead of southern comfort, you need the comforter. That's what he was saying. Church people got that one, Holy Spirit, comforter, all right. Now, time doesn't allow me to share all the similarities and differences between these two unequal spirits. Let me be very clear. The Holy Spirit is greater than anything, anything in a bottle could ever do. But there are some similarities. Alcohol lowers your inhibitions. The Holy Spirit eliminates your fear. Alcohol gives you false liquid courage. Jesus says the Holy Spirit, you'll receive power and you'll be bold if you have the Holy Spirit. Alcohol makes you glad, but the Holy Spirit fills you with true joy. The Holy Spirit does not need to be exercised in moderation. You can get all you want. He's free. He never spoils, but he does spill. That's what I'm saying. He spills out of you. You can still drive your car after you've been ramped up on the Holy Spirit and he never gives you a hangover. I'm telling you. Paul knew, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. That's what he was saying. Now, some of you say, well, all right, all right, all right. But what about moderation and abstinence? I want to get there right now. I want to read what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, the other scripture I was telling you about. There's something about moderation, and um, Paul gives us an insight into this and where we're going to live in this tension between moderation and abstinence. In 1 Corinthians 10, verses 23 through 24, Paul says this, I have the right to do anything. You say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So Paul is talking about the believer's freedom here. And he's talking about the fact that you and I are part of a body, that we have a responsibility to each other, that we have freedom, but in our freedom, we have to consider other people. We've got to take in mind what's going on. Some things may be permissible, but it's not beneficial for us to do. It's not really wrong, but he's saying it's not beneficial for you to be a part of this. And so he's saying, I want you to live in this tension. And you don't need to just say, well, get over it. That's the way I live. Paul says, a follower of Jesus Christ says, Holy Spirit, speak to me. I want to do what you say, not what they say, not what I think. I want to follow the flow of the Holy Spirit. And so he's saying, live in this tension. Live in this tension. And then I will tell you this, that people in their emails were like, please, 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 don't say anything that is moderation. Only do abstinence. Like, if you give people a little permission to drink, they're going to go off the rails. And I said, I'm just teaching what's in the Word of God. And, you know, and I thought of that saying, like, they were like, don't tell them, don't give them an inch, because an inch to the devil is an inch too much, because he'll inch you and he'll inch you till he's got you in his clutch. I get that one. All right, I know that one. 
But they're like, don't give him an inch. I'm like, I said, I'm just going to preach the truth and what I see in the word of God, all right? Now, I will tell you this. I live a life of abstinence, and we're going to end on that. And my abstinence lifestyle may seem like condemnation to some. Some wrote emails saying, how dare you shame us? How dare you guilt us? How dare you do this and, and say that you're an example of abstinence? I'm telling you what, that was probably the Holy Spirit working on you because I listened to my sermon again and I didn't say those things, all right? But my abstinence lifestyle may feel like condemnation to some, but it's not. I understand what Romans 14.3 says, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. And I understand that there are people that drink in moderation. I live abstinence. I understand that we're staying within those boundaries. I don't judge them. I don't get angry at them. I've never said anything to anyone at any table that I've been at, like, how dare you? I've never done that. Now, internally, I've been a little worried sometimes, I'll be honest. But I don't judge and, and get angry with people because I've learned that I've got to let the Holy Spirit speak to you and speak to me and speak to all of us. Now, I will tell you this. It is possible to live in moderation. Jesus lived in moderation. Jesus, if he was living in his culture, drank what we talked about, cut wine. And I want to be very clear. Some people got upset about this and they said, how dare you? I'm telling you, look through the historical documents. Most of the people in their day thought drinking fully... Uh, you know, fully alcohol, full alcohol was wrong. They would cut it and they would cut it three parts water, one part wine. That is what socially was done, okay? So Jesus drank cut wine and I can guarantee you this, that he never, ever, ever was drunk because the Bible says Jesus was perfect and sinless. So he was able to live in moderation. He didn't take part in either thing that the people accused him of. They accused him of being drunk, hanging out with drunkards and prostitutes. And I can tell you this, Jesus was never drunk and he was never with a prostitute. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And Jesus went to the places where they were not to tip back a cold one with them, but he was going there to say, sinners matter to Jesus. Sinners matter to God. And if the religious people have no room for you and have told you to get out of here, God sent me to tell you that you matter, that the shepherd is going into dangerous places to look for lost sheep. That's what he was doing. And the Savior was doing that. So if Jesus could live that way, it can be done. Now you need to answer this if you're going to live in moderation. However, you're going to have to answer these questions. When, where, how much, what, why? So let's start with that. When? Are you going to do this when? To celebrate? Are you going to do it to relax after work? Is that when you're going to drink alcohol? I can't find anything in the Bible that says, come unto me, that ye that are weary and heavy laden, and open a bottle. You know what I mean? He doesn't say that. He says, come to me with your stress. So I don't think that's part of it. There's, it seems like most of the alcohol was part of celebrations that, was going, that were going on. And... Um, I think we need a theology of partying and celebration because much of the partying that we talk about today is like Dionysius versus wedding feasts and different things and festivals that had rules and order and regulation and children present. Do you understand that? When you look at the celebrations in the Bible, children were present. And you look at the Dionysius part of partying and there were no children present. It was total, uh, just let go, no limits. So we need a theology of that, and maybe I'll do another series. But you're going to have to answer the when. Will you only drink with food? You're going to have to answer that. You're going to have to answer the where. Will you only drink at home? These are real questions that you have to struggle and live in the tension. And I will tell you this, please, 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 please never give your children a sip of alcohol. Be very clear that they need to be older. 
Time Magazine, not the church, Time Magazine said this and wrote an article about sipping mommy's wine. And they said that it's leading to increased alcoholism, that a child that is given alcohol at fifth grade will most likely want to drink by seventh grade, that if you let a child sip at age 10, it's most likely that they will be drinking at age 14 and wanting to sip and wanting more. It's just a proven fact, okay? So I'm telling you, please, 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 if you're gonna do this, you're gonna answer the where, please don't let your children drink. Our own government says 21. Why should the church go lower than that? Social media, if you're going to do the where, are you going to want any pictures of you drinking alcohol on social media? I think it's so sad when Christians have all these pictures with alcohol. How do you tell the story that that's just one? How do you just tell that story? How do you do that? And they count that, well, there's eight on the table. Well, those weren't mine. Those were theirs. Okay? Why are people so excited with social media that they want to throw? Where are you going to drink if you're going to live in moderation? You have to answer for your actions. We all do. 13 million problem drinkers started with one drink. If you're going to say where, think about this. We operate heavy equipment today. We operate motor vehicles that can go over 100 miles an hour. Back in their day and age, they had donkeys and camels. If you crash your donkey, not so bad. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you got a little crazy with this donkey. You, know? <laughs> you got to think about that. Okay? I don't think it's ever appropriate to drink with people that are struggling with alcohol. And here's the thing. You don't control the circle. So when you invite somebody over for dinner, how do you know that they are not struggling with alcohol? And then you go and serve them that. I just think these are things that you have to answer. Um, which, by the way, did you know that we serve grape juice for communion because we don't want anyone excluded from the Lord's Supper. And we think that we could take anywhere from the fruit of the vine from grape juice all the way to alcohol. Now, we choose grape juice. And if we did do alcohol, we would do cut alcohol. But we serve grape juice. And we say we don't want anyone to be offended or stumble or to relapse at church. We don't want anyone to have to pass up uh, communion saying we remember what Jesus did because we serve alcohol, which, by the way, Welch's grape juice in 1869 was invented, and it was called Dr. Welch's unfermented wine. They did it for churches. And for the first 20 years, Welch's grape juice, their only customers were churches, and they served Dr. Welch's unfermented wine until his son came along and said, Dad, if we just called it grape juice, we could sell more. And so they did that, and thus you know the story of Welch's. But Paul was answering the question, and he's telling us to live in this stress. Romans 14, 21. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. Where matters. It matters. Why do you drink? Why do you drink? You have to answer that question. And I am so saddened by the people who say, I don't even like the taste of alcohol, but I drink. I think you make me more angry than the people that like the taste. Because you say you don't even like it, but in order to fit in, you drink. You'd love to live abstinence, but you choose not to because you want to fit in. You don't want to have the courage to stand with your conviction, and so you drink what you don't even like. You don't like the effects on your body, but to fit in, you drink it anyways. That bothers me. And if you need some strength on how to stand up in a world that thinks that everybody drinks, let me give you a few things. I'm going to tell you this, you could work with a recovery ministry or teen challenge or a freedom group in our church. You could work with our youth group or our kids and say, I'm a youth sponsor. I work with recovering addicts and I don't drink. And that could give you some boldness to stand up in a world that almost forces a drink on you. But people won't argue with you if you say, I help recovering addicts. I always think it's funny that 
If I tell people I don't drink, they're like, why? Oh, never, ever, at all? Can we get you one now? What would change it? You know, why? And they're always intrigued, like, I didn't know people did that. But if I say, sometimes I do this, they say, hey, can we get you a drink? And I go, no, I've been sober 25 years. I've been sober my whole life, but you know. (laughs) They're always like, oh, good for you, good for you. How come if I was going to ruin my life and I recovered, I'm good, but if I just don't want to take the chance, I'm crazy, okay? I don't get that. I don't get it. Come on. But if your why is to get a buzz, if your why is stress relief, if your why is to fit in, I think you're using it for the wrong reasons. If your why is to binge drink, I think you're using the why for the wrong reason, and you need to live in the tension of this question. How much, how much cut wine is, we were talking about they drank less, they didn't drink as much alcohol content as we do. The CDC, when it comes to the answer of how much, this is not the church, this is the CDC. Our own government says that you are a moderate drinker if you drink one drink per day or less as a woman, two drinks per day or less as a man. Now they are not even answering the question of are you living in moderation as a follower of Jesus Christ that's trying to live in the tension of how much is too much. They're simply trying to tell you what your body can handle and still say, stay healthy in today's alcohol content. That's not the church, that's the government. They're saying that if you go over those numbers, you are a heavy drinker. Do you understand they're not even saying you're going outside the tension of a follower of Jesus Christ. They're saying, according to the government, you are a heavy drinker. The Washington Post in 2014 did an article called, You Think You Drink a Lot. 30% of Americans drink no alcohol. 30% of Americans drink no alcohol. 30% of Americans drink one drink a week or less. That means 60% of America drinks one drink or less per week, and yet it seems like with TV and shows and media that everybody's drinking and worshiping the God of Bacchus and going out of control on spring break, like the whole world is doing that. 20% of Americans drink two to 6.25 drinks per week. And 20%, sadly, drink between 15 and 73 drinks per week. Did you know that every year in the state of Minnesota, 25,000 people are arrested for DWI, 70 people a day. Minnesota is one of the leading states in alcohol poisoning. Alcohol taken in too much is actually a poison to your body, and we are high on our poisoning. If we could lower that, we'd actually score even better for a place to live. If we could get rid of snow, everyone would live here, so yeah. My final thought, and uh, I'll take these minutes, and I know we're going to go a little long, but it's okay. Leads me to my final thought in this series for abstinence and why I do it. First of all, our church policy. We do not serve alcohol at any church events. We will never serve church, uh, serve alcohol at any church event, at a picnic, at a life group, nothing. We won't serve it in communion. Please do not tell me how your wine-tasting uh, life group will cause the church to grow. I'm not listening. We're not doing it. That's not going to happen, all right? We won't rent our building to anyone that wants to bring alcohol. We've had wonderful groups that would love to rent our facility. We have some of the nicest facilities in our communities in Minnetrista and Shakopee and now Apple Valley with high-tech services. And different government groups and, and civic groups have asked if they could use our facility, but they've asked if they could serve alcohol. And I said, you can't. You cannot serve alcohol. 
Heaven forbid that some would be left behind that a child would find. Heaven forbid that you would spill some on a seat where a recovering alcoholic sits down and smells the smell of alcohol. This is a safe zone. This is a safe zone, and so we are not going to do that, and that is our policy as a church. Now, I'm going to tell you a couple of things. First of all, my stance and why I choose abstinence. First of all, drunkenness is a sin. Drunkenness is a sin. Not drinking, but drunkenness is. And I'm going to tell you this. I don't want to cross the line. You know what? I have enough problem with sin. I don't need to add the possibility of drunkenness. You know what I'm saying? So I just say, I'm not going to go there. And I'm going to tell you this, that I don't believe that I'm going to get to heaven and God's going to go, hey, you could have loosened up a little. You could have had a couple. It was okay. You know, I don't think he's going to do that, okay? I think he's okay with my abstinence choice. In the Old Testament, priests were forbidden to come into God's presence drunk. In in Leviticus 10, verses 9 and 10, you and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink whenever you go into the tent of meeting or you will die. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come so that you can distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. I'm telling you this, that when I see that, that God said to his Old Testament priests, you will not come into my presence with any alcohol in you. You will not do that. I would stand before you and say today as a as a pastor that wants to rightly divide the word of God, I'm not going to be under the influence of anything when I'm preaching other than the Holy Spirit. That's just the way I'm going to live according to that. New Testament leaders cannot go past moderation at all. You cannot be an elder, a deacon, a pastor. You cannot be a New Testament leader and go past moderation at all. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1.7, since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. You cannot be a New Testament leader and be given to drunkenness, so I'm not even going to bring it into play. Leaders are encouraged to stay away from alcohol in Proverbs 31. We love it for Proverbs 31 woman. But in Proverbs 31 verses 4 and 5, it's not for kings, Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine, not for rulers to crave beer, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. I'm a leader, so I don't want to drink. If it's good enough in Proverbs, I want to be a leader that has a clear mind, and I'm not going to cloud my thinking as a leader with alcohol. People said to me in their emails, is this a request to live higher than Jesus? Why are you calling people to abstinence and to live between that? That's higher than Jesus. And it's interesting, it's one of the only few areas, if the only area, that you could actually do something that Jesus didn't. But I'm telling you this, Samson was called to not drink alcohol. John the Baptist was called not to drink alcohol. All Nazarites were called not to drink alcohol. There were others in the Bible. And I'll tell you this, I'm doing a higher standard than Jesus lived culturally, not because I'm stronger than him, but because I'm weaker. I'm weaker. I'm more prone to temptation. And so I live this higher standard than that cultural standard. And I will stand with people that struggle. If you struggle with alcohol and you think your life cannot be fulfilled without it, I stand with you and say you can live an abundant life without it. And I will help that. I actually helped start our recovery ministry at church. And I remember I was doing research and I went around to AA groups and they were, you know, hi, my name is Jim. I'm an alcoholic. My name is Sue. I'm an alcoholic. And I was watching these people. They got to me. I said, hi, I'm Rob. I'm glad to be here. And they all went, oh, denial. Yeah, it's okay. Pray for him. But I stand with you. I see the pain. I see the pain. I stand with you, and so do others in this church. And honestly, I don't need it. I don't ever think what I'm missing. I think about the money I'm saving, and I give it to kingdom builders, all right? (laughs) If I'm down, I want the Holy Spirit to lift me up. 
If I'm empty, I want the Spirit to fill me. If I'm timid, I want Holy Spirit boldness, not fake liquid courage. If I'm going to live in a tension, I'd rather live in the tension of was that too much Holy Spirit rather than was that too much alcohol. That's the tension I want to live in. And I want to pray for our church. Live within the rails. Live within the rails. And hear what the Holy Spirit speaks to you and follow Christ in the whispers of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, I just pray right now that we'd live in that tension between moderation and abstinence. I pray we'd understand that you're gonna speak to each of us. You're gonna speak to us. Some will eat and drink, some will not eat and drink. We will not condemn one another, but we will always be okay with living within those rails and never, ever going over into drunkenness. So God, for those that have done that, that have crossed over, they lived and they've made the mistakes. Even recently, they've crossed into drunkenness. I pray for a spirit of repentance to fall on them. I pray that they'd wake up and listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. You're saying they can be forgiven, but you're saying there's a new way to live, a new way to live. And I pray they'd be obedient to every step that you speak to them. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen, amen, amen.